Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty. I am Mike Golick Sr. She is Jessica Smetana, back from vacation, which we would talk about and we would get into sports, but in all honesty, um, we just are not going to do it for this episode. Uh, With the tragedy that has gone on, uh, in Texas, with the the deaths of those those one teacher and fourteen students, it's just absolutely horrific. And and unfortunately, Jess, I have in my years on you know live radio and TV at ESPN, I have had to go through this a couple of times live. And one that involved in elementary schools back in 2012 was Sandy Hook, right in Connecticut, where I was doing the show and. It's live at that point, so you have to kind of keep going while mentioning it. And, and honestly, that this is that we tape a podcast every week, you know. And, and as we're taping this, this is this tragedy is going on. So we we honestly we don't feel like you know saying oh right, let's we're grieving this and then let's go talk sports. We just we just don't feel like doing it this time around. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really feel like appropriate to kind of talk about this and then transition into sports talk. So instead of doing a normal show, we're going to just play an interview we had with Dan Murphy that we taped earlier today before the news came out. And so that will be our episode for today. And Mike, I, you, you've had to do this before. I've never had to do this before in my uh, professional career. So I, I honestly don't really have the words right now. And I, I'm not sure exactly what the right thing is to say. Like this, this news kind of unfolded right before we we started recording this so this was just our decision for this episode just to mention it at the top of the show and then play the re- play the interview that we already recorded and and that will be it for for this week yeah i i don't know what to say anymore jess i don't i mean outside of yelling and screaming and slamming my head into the wall uh but obviously just the i, I can't even fathom the pain those families are going through right now but we've seen this before and we everybody gets outraged for a while and then you know everybody moves on i i i don't have the answer i wish i had the answer uh i think a lot of people want to try and have some answers but unfortunately um it, it things don't get done and i'll i'll rant too much because i've i've been through this too much if i keep going and that that's not the road i want to go down um so we will be back again next week uh and break down some sports but as jess said uh, earlier today, before this happened, uh, we talked with uh, another Notre Dame grad, by the way, uh, ESPN staff writer Dan Murphy, who covers college sports. And we talked about the college football with Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban and the NIL and where all that's going. So here's our interview uh, with Dan, and then we'll talk to you all next week. So, Dan, the while NIL and the transfer portal have really kept college football kind of in the news 
year round like the NFL is always in the news year round. Man, did it take a jump with Jimbo and Nick Saban. I mean, holy smokes, that little war words and sprinkle in a little Deion Sanders. So when you started hearing that back and forth going on uh, about what Nick Saban had accused Texas A&M and Jackson, uh, Jacksonville State about, what, what, what was going through your mind as someone who covers college sports the way you do? I think it wasn't that much different than what you did. Very spicy for mid-May and, and kind of nice for something to talk about. And I don't think, you know, it, it's interesting to hear the frustration boiling over for these coaches, I think, as they try to sort through something that's new and foreign to them. But I don't know that their words are going to do a whole lot to to change the way this is moving or the pace at which it is moving necessarily. So it's entertaining, but I don't know if it's much more than that at this point. Basically, Dion said, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to him privately. If he wants to talk, he can talk publicly because he made comments publicly. Jimbo basically not accepting any apologies. And these were guys that obviously work together, but we don't know their relationship. But it seems like it's over. Do you, do you think that's the way it's going to stay? Or, I mean, they have media days, SEC media days and stuff. How do you see all that playing out? It's going to be awkward down in Destin, Florida, I think, in a couple of weeks when all those coaches get together, I, I would imagine. But but yeah, you know, it, it doesn't seem like uh, Jimbo Fisher is in any hurry to to bury the hatchet. And who knows how much of that is public and how much changes when the two of them get together and have a drink or something like that. But but it sure is going to make this fall when those two teams meet fun, because because uh, I'm sure the fan bases are going to be happy to be at each other's throats. Uh, uh, yes, that's October 8th. And by the way, I believe on DraftKings already, we're looking at uh, about a 16 and a half point uh, a favorite for that's, that's way too big of a spread to be like tossing out accusations back at Nick Saban, right? Like You got to <laughs> get that in single digits before you can have a rebuttal. Well, yeah, I, th- I think I heard, I forget who it was, but somebody was talking about how they, you know, Jimbo was was talking about how much they accomplished and the response was, well, what is he, well, wasn't it Justin Thomas, right? After, right after he won the PGA said, well, you know, I think Jimbo, you got to win something before you kind of talk that trash. So I don't know, it's, it's going to be fun to see it all unfold. Their A&M certainly looks like they're uh, on the rise with the way they're using some of this NIL stuff. Did, did Saban like know he was being videotaped? Because this was at a really weird, random event, right? This wasn't a press conference. This wasn't a media event. He was on some sort of panel. Like, what was he even doing there? So I find that to be one of the more interesting parts of this whole conversation because I don't know, you know, he probably knew there was a reporter in the room. He's a pretty savvy guy, and he's pretty good at using a platform to deliver a message to whoever he wants to deliver it to all the time when he's talking in a press conference he's often delivering a message to his players back in the locker room and so this event he was at was a room full of local Alabama business leaders right so what do you think he's saying when he's talking about how all these other teams are racking up big salaries or whatever you want to call it for their players think of the audience he's talking to and in what way is he trying to motivate them? I, you know, I don't think that was a mistake. He's a pretty smart, savvy, intentional guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I think a little bit of that has been lost in what maybe he was actually trying to do with some of these comments. He was he was sending the message out, right? Just trying to do it maybe like in a read between the lines way. I, I think you're right. Like there's there's something to be said for it being in front of a group of like potential people who might be interested in sponsoring an O-lineman in, in Tuscaloosa. Hmm. Yeah, maybe that sounds not an air raid signal, but a wake-up call. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what he was doing there, but it's certainly worth questioning. By the way, they just signed a uh, quarterback that decommitted from Texas A&M. Might, <laughs> might as well add to the drama on that. Again, 
as we mentioned right now, Bama 16 and a half point favorite October 8th. Bama on DraftKings Sportsbook is plus 250 to win it all this year. The whole the title, Texas A&M at plus 2800. That's fifth best odd. So we will see. Is 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 Nick Saban untouchable? I mean, can can he be harmed in any way with any of this? Uh, you mean like can his, his legacy? You his know, leg- yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I, I think to me, the one thing that that has kept Nick Saban on the top of college football for the past ten to twelve years, or for however long it's been now, has been his ability to see change coming and to adjust to it. Look at the way he changed offenses, and you know, ten years ago he was winning games nine to six and talking about, hey, is this the way that we want football to look as the Big Twelve was reshaping things, and then all of a sudden. He got the answer. Yeah, this is what it's going to look like. And, and Alabama's had the best scoring offense in the country for several years. So, I, you know, all of this stuff with the way that acquiring players right now is changing is um, is potentially another opportunity for Saban if he's ready to jump into it again. And I think at a certain point, we're going to see coaches slowly change their attitudes as they get more comfortable here and find ways to use this to their advantage. Yeah, Nick Saban doesn't want a five-star. He wants every five-star. And listen, all coaches do, but he has the ability to get the most of them, no doubt about that. So moving on to that, this was about, obviously, NIL, and I agree with both of you. This is Nick Saban sending his message, just like when he was talking to the to – the, group and talking about Bryce Young making a million dollars in NIL before stepping on the field. Well, of course, that was, hey, tell your, I think it was a bunch of high school coaches, hey, tell your kids they can make some money before they even step on the field. So we know he, like a Bill Belichick, has that uh, ulterior motive in mind. So then there's the the talk of, of NIL, Dan, and you've been on NIL so much, that in the transfer portal, but with NIL and where it's now going, where ADs are starting to go back in time a little bit and say, well, if you didn't follow the rule that we or the guideline that we had and we didn't punish you, now we may might punish you if you did it, you know, back in the day a little bit. So what, do you see guidelines ever coming into play here that actually have some teeth? It's a really good question because what they're trying to enforce is almost a state of mind in some cases, unless you say out loud, I'm doing this to induce somebody to come to my school. I don't know how you prove that somebody did something for an inducement rather than endorsement, right? That's the line that they're trying to to sort between right now. And, you know, maybe there's somebody who's blatant enough or or stupid enough or new at this enough to, to leave themselves a paper trail in some way that the NCAA can chase down. I do think that we're going to see some point soon their enforcement staff try to make an example out of somebody because, and with the full knowledge from people in the NCAA, knowing that it's probably going to have to be sorted out in the court. Somebody's going to sue somebody here at some point along the line, depending on how this all shakes out. And I think coaches and athletic administrators have gotten to the point that said, well, look, if we're going to figure this out in court, let's figure it out now and enforce the issue a little bit. And the way you do that, if you're the NCAA or a school is to try to penalize or sanction somebody for some of what's going on. Someone suing somebody, though, in the wake of last summer's Supreme Court uh, decision, which all nine Supreme Court justices ruled against the NCAA and kind of opened the door for potentially more antitrust lawsuits to come forward, is like the exact opposite of the NCAA of what they want, right? So why are they now trying to backtrack and like reinforce guidelines when they know that they're in an incredibly vulnerable position right now? 
Yeah, and that's why they've waited 10 months because of that ruling that you just brought up in this sense that anything else that goes through the federal courts, especially on an antitrust case, it is going to be a tough hill to climb for the NCAA right now and a tough case for them to prove. But I, I think they've gotten to the point where they say, well, even if we lose, we need to know more specifically and concretely where we stand and how the government feels about all of this stuff so we can pick a lane in some way and move forward. That Supreme Court case, while it opened the door and sort of invited more antitrust cases, it didn't totally blow up or immediately make illegal the things the NCAA does. It said, hey, if if you are to ask us in the future whether or not schools should be able to put any limits or any caps at all on the kind of things that you can provide for your athletes, we might think that that's illegal moving forward. But somebody's got to go ahead and ask us that actual question before we make that determination. Boy, it seems like there are so many questions more than there are answers. A lot of it is wording because if we all remember Jimbo's rant, he he specifically kept saying we did not break any state laws because that's what the NIL, when the NCA, as I said, punches piloted this thing and washed their hands of it, they basically said follow the state rules. If you don't have state rules, then kind of make up what other states are doing. So he kept saying don't break any state laws. So where do you see this going, Dan? Do you see, because I've talked to, and I'm sure you have multiple commissioners. Some say it's up to us as commissioners and some other commissioners say it's up to the federal government to take care of this. Who eventually is going to enforce rules and or guidelines? So if they're waiting for Congress to do something, they're going to be waiting for a long time. There are bigger issues. There's, they've been working on this for two years, and there's still no agreement between Democrats and Republicans on, on how this should be handled in Congress. Um, you know, I, I think the NCAA has also been waiting a long, even longer, right? Kicking this can down the road for, what, 10, 15, 20 years, depending on where you want to start counting with some of this stuff. Uh, to me, the answer is going to come probably through another lawsuit in the court system. And again, that's that's not a quick resolution. We're talking about years, not weeks or months before some of this is sorted out. But there's a couple scenarios, right, where either a school steps in and says, hey, this particular NIL deal breaks the rules. So you, the athlete, you can't accept this. And if that's the case, the athlete, his or her agent, or the business that's trying to pay them may step in and sue the school. And then we'll get some clarification based on what's allowed and what's not there. Or the other scenario is the school allows it and says, hey, our state law says this doesn't break any laws. We're going to follow the state law instead of the NCAA rules. Then the NCAA sanctions the school themselves. And, and then the school or the players who are punished due to the NCAA sanctions might sue the NCAA. So it gets really hairy and get into the weeds and into sort of these hypothetical situations really fast. But ultimately, I don't see any clarity coming unless it goes through the court system or some group of, you know, the, the highest power of college sports decides we're done waiting for this. We're going to fully embrace being an entertainment industry and, and just dive into this. And that it still feels like they're far away away from that, but you never know. The temperature is changing a little bit there too. So is it not a little weird for Saban and Fisher to be kind of going back and forth in like sort of this moral superiority type of argument because there, there really like isn't any <laughs> any any rules or any regulations or any lane that is that is correct for any of this like what what are we trying who's trying to argue what how can we even argue about something so ambiguous right now yeah it's a good right when when Saban made those comments he talks about AM buying players or or you know Dion's team buying a player 
what he doesn't say is it, that's not illegal. That's not really against the rule, even the NCAA rules, if you do it in sort of the right way and, and thread that needle the right way. I think it just feels distasteful to these guys who are so used to this old system. And, and that's a lot of the angst or, or nervousness going on within coaches right now, I think, is is they they just don't like the feel of it because they it's been verboten for, for so long in college sports that it's going to take a little while for people to get over it. And frankly, you know, we we're talking about sort of who makes the most of this earlier. Whoever gets comfortable with this stuff quicker is going to end up benefiting from it because I don't think it's going backwards. Well, that, that's I said a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people have to use the stupid adage of the toothpaste ain't going back in the tube. So instead of complaining about it, learn how to deal with it. So I'll ask you this. If we do this again exactly two years, NIL is not even a year old. Two years from now, if the three of us are sitting down and talking again, and we bring up NIL, where do you think NIL will be? I think the more interesting conversation in two years will be whether schools or which schools are paying their players directly in some way. I, I think we're headed to a point, and I don't know if it's two years or some, you know, five years, that if anybody tells you, you know they exactly what the timeline is going to be, they're lying to you at this point. But the, the fundamental relationship between an athlete and his or her school, I think, has to change at some point moving forward. And, and maybe just for a top tier of schools, right? You've heard that conversation a bunch of times about whether this is going to cause some kind of extra split in the NCAA. And that's real. I think schools are considering that right now, how that would shape out. But for the past, let's call it at least 40 years, I think the NCAA has, has comfortably straddled they're a, a billion dollar entertainment industry when that's convenient. And they're a, a fun after school educational activity when it's convenient for them to, to say that they're that. I think we've reached a point where they're going to have to pick one of these, those two lanes. And we may see some schools pick one lane and some schools step back and say, let's do something more like what D3 or the Ivy Leagues or something looks like, which will be a really interesting conversation to see who chooses which lane. But in, in a couple of years, I think that's the conversation we're going to be having. Is, has this split happened already and in what ways and who is paying their players? So you're saying that like to be successful in this new era, you have to have a head coach that's able to be kind of flexible and cool and and like adjust with the times, maybe be young, maybe be 35, be someone that the players really like. I don't know if this rings a what bell. What are you getting at here, like, But it seems to me like you don't <laughs> want someone who's – maybe a little ornery and in their seventies, maybe you want someone who's kind of cool and, and young and different and new. <laughs> Who has a coach like that though? Oh, wow. See, full disclosure, everybody, uh, you're speaking, you're listening to three ND grads. Uh, I'm the earliest in 85. Dan, you were what? 2000, what? Uh, Oh, nine. Oh, nine, 2009. And Jess was 2016. So, of course, Jess was alluding to Marcus Freeman, the new coach uh, at Notre Dame. But it, it is an interesting question about that direction, but also the direction you talked about. Me and, and, and my son, Mike, have had this conversation. We go back and forth on because he's mentioned the same thing. My fear, Dan, though, if they go down the road of schools paying the, the athletes, you're going to lose sports. I mean, and as I've said, I, and, and Jess knows him, and you know him, and I know him. We know, hell, my daughter was a swimmer. We know soccer players, lacrosse players. They work as harder, harder. They just don't happen to be in a revenue sport. And if they, you know, get canceled away because of this, that'd be a damn shame. So I agree that that's a possibility and a way that some schools might treat this if they start seeing this as a pure business. But I don't see that as an inevitable consequence. I think 
so many schools for so long have have said college sports is about providing as many opportunities as we can for athletes to get a good experience on our campus and, and a good education. And you don't need a $3 million softball stadium or a tennis coach who's making 450K a year in order to provide that experience, in order to have the swim team or the water polo team or the soccer team. You can do all of those things at, as most the overwhelming majority of colleges in D3 and D2 level do. You can do those things without having a lot of money pouring in from those sports. The, the extra fat that you see on every big time college athletic department is because they've brought in so much money without having to pay their players that it had to go somewhere. They've got to keep sending money out the door. And so you end up with an $800,000 locker room for your lacrosse team that lost a million dollars in revenue this year. You can still have the lacrosse team. You just won't have as many fancy bells and whistles. And I think that's maybe not the worst thing in the world. Well, as, as long as I've always said, as long as those athletes can keep being the athletes, you know, I, I, I hope that that can happen. And hope um, the school prioritize taking care of them too, as well, right? Making sure they have yes. the, yeah, the wouldn't that care be a shame? Like we're giving, yeah, like we're giving athletes uh, a slide in their facility, but like once you know, once they need like mental health care, we're like, eh, we have <laughs> right. a slide. Yeah, but make sure I mean, they can slide. Yeah. Uh huh. There's there's so many better important things we could be spending the money on. This it, is my it is, point. Yeah, that, no, that is that is very very true. So all that's going last one, Dan. All that's going on nil transfer portal. What you see happening possibly in two years with conferences and everything else. Does any of it? Because I don't think it has so far. Any of this actually damage the product on the field? I don't think so. It's a really good, like, you know, will people suddenly care less if the players are making money? Honestly, some of them probably will because they've been taught so long to think that way. I, I, I think what we see, saw last year on the field, saw this March Madness was just as awesome and just as magical as it has been in the past. And I, I think it can, will continue to be that way. Um, people talk about, well, isn't this just going to be professional sports attached to your university? You can still make money and be a college student at the same time. I had a job in college. Yeah, Jess, you probably did too. Mike, you, I know you were busy playing football yeah. in your own way, right? But like, um, it's not impossible to, to be an employee of a place and also be a college student at the same time and, and keep that same connection and campus feel and, and all that, those, those great things that, that are great about college sports and we should try to preserve about college sports. But um, yeah, I, you know, it, I think it, it potentially only has the, the opportunity to, to help in many ways. I always thought that it was amazing at Notre Dame that I was paid to work for the athletic department as like a video editor, like video producer, but the actual, you know, women's soccer team or men's soccer team, lacrosse team, hockey team, like they weren't getting paid to actually play the sport that right. these other students were videotaping and making live TV shows out of. Very strange. And it's, it's so... I agree with you for sure. But if you're worried about athletes being paid at all, like that ship was sailed a long time ago. The, the scholarship is compensation in some way. They're getting actual checks in their bank, like real cash in the bank account every month now if you're a big-time college athlete. If that's distasteful for you, you should have watched, stopped watching 15 years ago. All that's changing now is that you can't place one artificial universal cap on what every athlete can make. You're saying this is something that you can be paid worth your individual value. And that's really the only thing that's changing. And I, I don't see it really impacting how great these games are to watch for most fans. 
Well, Dan, here we are in May talking about college football. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing uh, either. It. Uh, it's uh, it's football, so it's it's going to play, no doubt about it. Dan, always good to talk to you, man. Look forward to talking to you more this year. Thanks for having me.